Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, Jason Seekin exits The Telegraph. Victoria Derbyshire's new show started this week. I catch up with the launch editor, Louisa Compton, on moving from live radio to live telly. Plus, there's an election coverage update, talk of YouTube's new monthly subscription service, and our pundits take on this year's BAFTA TV Award nominees. This is the Media Podcast, sponsored by Audioboom. And with me today at the Hospital Club is the Managing Director of Content Company Something Else. It's Steve Ackerman. Hello, Oliver. Hello. Uh, Now, perhaps you can tell me, you might not even know, what do your Kermode and Mayo film podcasts, very good podcasts, obviously there's a radio show as well, but I'm focusing on the podcast here, and the media podcast have in common? I'm guessing... They were in the top ten. There was a top ten list, wasn't there? Oh, I'm glad I, you noticed I, I, as well. I, I can't quite remember whose list it is, but I know that Kermode and May were in it. Okay, it's not just us navel gazing. You yeah. do it as something else as well. Uh, yes, we were both mentioned in the 14 podcasts you must listen to on BuzzFeed UK. On BuzzFeed, which right, were fairly right. arbitrary, to be honest. But you know, I was pleased. Listen, Kermode and May take it very seriously, so they genuinely would have been very pleased. Good, glad to hear it. What else is going on at Something Else Towers? A new game coming out next week with. Punch Drunk and Absolute Vodka is my big plug of the week. Ooh. So I can't do any more than that. It's, 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 but it obviously intertwines real life sort of theatre as Punch Drunk would specialise in with, 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 with a game you can you play, play on your phone. Yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, and we welcome back to the show the uh, journalist Alex Hudson. Hello, Alex. Hello, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Last time you were on, you were heading up social for BBC Question Time, amongst other things. I was doing too many things, I think, last time I was on. Now I'm sort of streamlining and actually sort of just trying to write good stories, which makes a refreshing change and actually just doing things. I've written a story at the moment that the reason that young people join political parties is not because they care about politics, it's not because they have some great aspiration to help out the Green Party, it's because it's quite funny. No, or, really? It's, yeah, it's, so we went, uh, went round to Newcastle and Manchester and Liverpool and it's just because someone pulling out a UKIP card is the best punchline to any joke you would like to make at any point. Wow, it's for the lols. <laughs> it is for the lols. Oh, the Green Party is the cool one, the UKIP one is the funny one. Now let's talk about a title that was very influential in the past uh, and some say dwindling, the Daily Telegraph. The editor-in-chief, Jason Seekin, has left the paper. He was tasked with turning the news organisation into a lean, mean, digitally distributed machine uh, and after 18 months he has declared mission accomplished and walked off into the sunset. Uh, So Alex, everything's fine? Everything is... They still charge £2.29 a month for the app, and I don't understand why. The morning email and the evening email are wonderful, wonderful things. So 
I go to that every morning and you read everything that you need to know in political news, but you don't click through. And that's the difficulty for The Telegraph. They're actually, they lack that content that drives audiences towards it. And so they brought in Malcolm Coles, who used to work at The Mirror, who I've worked with, who is wonderful at getting things done. So I'm sure he'll be, he'll have wonderful ideas. They'll do something that, that we have never thought of yet. And that will really change The Telegraph and the way The Telegraph works, I think. But actually, it's, it's not even so much about The Telegraph as a brand necessarily, is it, Steve? It's to do with morale at the paper as well, and for the staff who actually work in the building. Because, I mean, I write for The Telegraph on a freelance basis, but if you actually work there in the building, you know, we've been hearing all kinds of rumours, this sort of regular column in private eye talking about ways in which people find it incomprehensible, the town hall meetings and all of that kind of thing. Is that the issue here, really? I think it's a great example of the sort of wider struggles the newspaper industry have. And obviously the Telegraph have tried to take a slightly bold approach in terms of bringing in someone who wasn't really, didn't have an editorial background and had a digital background. What he's come up against is a culture that finds finds that very difficult because he's dealing with some very traditional journalists who may not have wanted to adopt digital ways or didn't really understand them. Now, there's a different debate about whether he went about that in the right way and, and what was his technique for doing that. But I think if you speak to Telegraph insiders, there's there's quite a lot of um, sort of hardened opinion about, well, this is a newspaper. You know, this 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 just isn't what what we do. And obviously the difficulty for newspapers is it is what you have to do going forward. So I think there's sort of two things. It's about his own personal style, his his management style, how you know, the culture he tried to create. But then there's then is the embedded culture within the Telegraph and the issues that newspapers as a whole face and the Telegraph is just the latest example of that. Yeah, it's funny how that distinction between news website and papers is now so blurred. I was watching, weirdly, at 9 o'clock in the morning on Easter Sunday, I think it was, they did a paper review uh, on the BBC News Channel because uh, obviously whatever their normal content wasn't on because it was Easter Sunday. Uh, And because it was Easter Sunday, they had a bloke from BuzzFeed and a bloke from HuffPo who would turn up for very little money and talk about what was in the papers. But there was a moment where the presenter said, "Uh, and now something from your paper, the Huffington Post. Hmm. And I just think that's so interesting that they use the word paper when, you know, that is a purely digital product. I mean, Alex, if you were advising The Telegraph how to be more digital, you've just come from the mirror where you've been doing digital stuff there. What would you say they need to do to keep their readers happy and be digital? The idea that there's still this physical paper and the idea that there is still this digital offering is so confusing. Like, so in the same way, the, the idea that the BBC, they still have news reporters that would do only TV or only radio or only online has pretty much died now. And so what can The Telegraph do to bring those people who are just, I'm a print journalist, I only do print, and the idea of writing on the internet is just something, you file some words and someone else puts the pictures in. You have to fix that, and that means you either bring in new people or you change people's opinions by, actually, 7 million people read this article, only X hundred thousand read it in the newspaper. Once you lead by example and show them that actually more people will read your content online if it's done properly, and it's not just a thousand word essay about nothing in particular that no one will read. If you put subheads in, if you put pictures in, if you actually make it relevant to your audience, you can start actually changing people's opinions. Or draw a line under it, start again, and bring in fantastic new twenty-one year olds. The BuzzFeed model of actually young people can kind of they kind of know what they're doing. But doesn't the Telegraph have an issue that? Uh, in the online space, it doesn't really stand for anything. Or it doesn't. It's not strong enough in what it stands for. It's obviously a right-leaning paper, but in the online space, clearly, 
you're competing against a lot more entities than, than you are in the traditional news agent and therefore you've got to be a bit louder in terms of what you stand for and, and I think it's interesting that obviously the past few years the, the Guardian has really tried to establish itself as a sort of liberal left-leaning presence and has sort of uh, raised the sort of volume on that in terms of the online space and, and, and it feels like the Telegraph needs to do the same but in the obviously in terms of being a right-leaning voice. Uh, well, just finally on this, there was a survey by the IAB, that's the Interactive Advertising Bureau, on Thursday, which said that UK adults are prepared to pay just 92 pence a month for access to news online. Now, you can talk about paywalls or not having paywalls or adopting what The Guardian are doing, The Mail are doing, but, I mean, you're not going to fund journalism that The Telegraph wants to do just through 92p a month, are you? So when the, when the, you know, the paper product does finally disappear, is there a revenue there for that kind of journalism, do you think, Alex? There is a revenue, but not in the way that we all feel comfortable with and not the way that we understand it. So BuzzFeed model of sponsored features or the YouTube model, which is slowly becoming pay what you want. Oh, and all of, you, all of the rich customers or the rich viewers which really care about something, the Guardian's trialling this already, is, oh, we'd quite like £5 a month if you can spare it because you really like us. But as far as ad-funded models, I think it's tricky because when was the last time you actually clicked through an advert? on a newspaper website. I can't remember the last time I did. Only by accident. <laughs> did you buy anything when you were there? Uh, yeah, I bought a Fiat Punta. No, I didn't buy anything. <laughs> I didn't buy anything. I'm not sure if it's better or worse, but the, the current model of let's have sponsored posts that people actually want to read is slowly the way. New York Times are experimenting with it. BuzzFeed are winning at it. And I think The Guardian are messing around with it in some way. I'm not sure exactly what that is. I think the issue is obviously you can't compete with free and so there has to be a different model and I think maybe the, the, the sort of challenge for some of the newspaper brands is when you look at someone like The Economist who obviously has transitioned really successfully now admittedly they've got a niche that, mm. that, that allows them to sort of charge but what they've also done really well is reinvent the brand in terms of making sure it is delivered in as many forms of media as possible as a means of reaching their target audience. And I think some of the newspapers have still been very slow to follow that sort of model. And interestingly, The Telegraph originally was a leader in that space. It, it was one of the first experiments with video. It, it created that sort of hub layout in its new headquarters that was, that was supposed to you know, increase the flow of, of conversation much, much better between the journalists. And it feels like uh, one point they were a little bit ahead of the curve they've really fallen radically behind it now no the economist one i was reading uh, an interview with the digital exec over there and he's saying we would like to create an all all encompassing version of the news so they don't they don't do inline links they just write full and frank stories and by the time you've read all of the economist whichever bit whether it's the 30 second bit or the three hour bit you will have a full understanding of the news and that means that they can charge for the subscription model and he puts forward a very, very convincing argument for that. But you do just wonder whether it's just easier to be that little bit more agile when you are The Economist or The Spectator or The New Statesman, which are all heritage titles, aren't they? But they have much tinier staffs, don't they, compared to The Telegraph who try and turn around this big beast into a digital... Well, I'm not sure The Economist does, actually. They've got two big buildings in London (laughs) packed with people. I mean, absolutely packed. And this is people who who are obviously creating digital products, who are creating audio, video, and obviously written word as well. So... I think it's about understanding your consumer and having the insight to think where, where, are, where are they and how can we best reach them. OK, let's talk about the election briefly because the campaign did kick off last week. Was it really only last week? Uh, and we've had the ITV leaders debate and we've had journalists at BBC Scotland attacked over their coverage uh, and we've had commissions from Channel 4 for a topical comedy and a drama 
all before May the 7th. Uh, I'll just throw all that in there and Steve ask you what caught your eye out of all that. If you had to pick one election story from the last fortnight, what would it be? I mean, I suppose just on a personal level, but this is just based on my consumption, the leaders' debate. It feels like it hasn't quite caught fire yet, I think. It was okay, though, wasn't it? It was watchable. It People was okay. said it wasn't going to be watchable. They said, I think you said on the show it wasn't going to happen, didn't you? Uh, I did. Yeah. I did. I'm Absolutely here to right. tell you it happened, Steve. La- last time I was here. <laughs> last time I was here. It was watchable, and I actually enjoyed it, but I know plenty of people who found it very, very difficult and sli- slightly stilted. Um, but I, 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 th- I did think it was watchable. Alex, your election story of the fortnight. The election story of the fortnight is the Green Party political broadcast, which actually tried to figure out how to use social media. They're like, right, OK, how do we make this shareable? How do we produce something that's a little bit funny? In political terms, it's still not... You know, roaring laughter. But the the boy band of the four major parties mm. was actually quite funny, mm. and having a young black girl present it was both deliberate, but also a very very good point of, hello, I'm a black young British woman. These four middle aged blokes are none of those things. Here's why you should vote green, and here's everything that you just have generic politics this side and the Green Party the other side. It was well shared and well consumed. Okay, well, a source that is trying to uh, help make sense of the general election build-up is Victoria Derbyshire's new TV show, which started this week. Uh, Your thoughts on this, chaps, in just a second. It is simulcast on BBC Two and the News Channel. Uh, If the format seems strangely familiar to Five Live listeners, you won't be surprised to find out it's made by her producer of five years, Louisa Compton. The Newsbeat editor has been tasked with launching the daily live programme. I caught up with her at New Broadcasting House on Thursday, and I started by asking her in traditional Alan Partridge style. What's the big idea? We were trying to do something different, something that no one on British domestic TV had ever done before. We were trying to make a programme that firstly had digital first content, and by that we mean content that people are going to want to choose to watch online. Um, instead of traditional TV packages, films that people are going to want to watch on Facebook or on YouTube later on in the day. So kind of under that banner, our focus has been original journalism and the kind of stories that you won't see anywhere else. Um, we certainly won't see kind of more traditionally on, BBC, on other parts of BBC News. Exclusive interviews with people at the kind of centre of stories or human interest stories audience debate and really putting the audience at the heart of everything we do and really kind of funneling in our conversations through the audience as well as obviously breaking news so they were the kind of our key priorities and how's it been going three days in uh three days in it all feels a bit of a whirlwind and i, I probably need the weekend to take stock of it but i think we've done a really good job we've launched a program that looks and feels quite different to any other news program and that was definitely really important to us on our first day um, we had an amazing film about two kids who um who identify as transgender, a six-year-old and eight-year-old who were born as boys but currently live as girls. And that story became the front page of a couple of national newspapers the next day and featured in most of the papers and got picked up right across the day on, on the BBC and elsewhere. Yeah, well, I mean, it's quite a long show, isn't it? Mm. It's kind of halfway between a kind of rolling news thing, which obviously mm. isn't an appointment to mm. view, people just tune in, yeah. and a kind of magazine show we're used to, like Lorraine, for example, mm. where people might be watching the whole thing. This is something that's kind of more serious than that it's got rolling news in it but it's quite long no one realistically is going to be sitting watching from the beginning to end so how do you think about that when you're when you're editing it yeah i think i think it's quite different from lorraine but I, I was making a comparison <laughs> simply because female host at that time of yeah, day yeah, very yeah, different fine. Yeah. okay okay you know very few people are probably going to watch from nine fifteen to 11 because you know a lot of people don't have that kind of amount of time in their, in their day to spend watching one program but the audience research we've seen so far and and the 
comments from our viewers do show that actually some people are sticking with us throughout the entire programme. But it is, yeah, it's an awful lot of airtime. Um, you know, when you think about other kind of similar programme formats, they're, they're on much shorter length of the time. But we are also making sure we've got breaking news and live events and things like that, which keep the pace of the programme up. I wouldn't describe it quite as a magazine programme. To me, it feels much more like a kind of traditional news and current affairs programme. But we're just spending longer on the stories. And we know from, again, audience research that that's what we want. When they turn to when they turn to something like the news channel, they want breaking news and they want to know the latest stories. But in those points where there aren't breaking news, they want someone to do a slightly more in-depth on stories and a bit more analysis and context. And that's what we're hoping to achieve. Which, dare I say, is what Victoria and you did at Five Live. So yeah. what is the comparison between producing for radio and producing this now on the telly? Um, there is no comparison. As I'm, as I'm finding out very quickly, t- and, and everyone told me in advance, and, and I, I knew it, but it's only when you're actually doing it you really realise it. TV is quite a ball lake and there's an awful lot of work that goes into it. I would say things that could take five minutes on radio can take half a day on TV. And I'm hoping that on the TV we're able to keep the same, same kind of authenticity and content and kind of level of edgy content and different discussions and conversations you wouldn't hear anywhere else. And we are trying to translate that onto the TV. And just one final question about mm. the way it's actually made. Mm. Uh, famously, news channels are controlled by robots, isn't it? Uh-huh. So you get these brilliant uh-huh. outtakes of uh, presenters walking yeah. into walls where there aren't uh, cameras and so on. Uh, whereas it seems on your show you've got three camera operators there as far as I could tell. I presume that costs more. I mean, that's more like a daytime TV show on BBC One or ITV. Yeah, we have we have uh, steady cams and we have um, humans operating the cameras, and that was really important in the kind of feel of the program we're trying to create. So that, as you'll see from the studio, we've tried to create a space that doesn't feel like a studio, or it doesn't feel as it le- feels as least like a studio as you can in an actual studio. And it's completely informal. And Victoria will walk from one end of the studio to the other and right across it, and you can only do that with with real human camera operators. Well, that was the BBC's Louisa Compton talking to the Media Podcast. Uh, have you seen the show? What did you make of it? I have seen it. I was slightly disappointed, actually. Uh, Victoria Darbush is a fantastic radio broadcaster and actually is a, is a very competent TV presenter. And I felt she was let down a bit by the direction that she clearly was receiving because clearly once you're on screen, it's not just your voice you're relying on. It is the warmth of personality you can generate. And so there were just some small elements. Like she, she just needed to smile a little bit more and just make, just make me feel a little bit warmer. I thought it was interesting that the audience, that you know, they had an audience in the studio, not in a traditional audience format, but sort of sitting around, around, around coffee tables, very mixed, so that, so that was good. It's sort of live with Jules Holland, but watching a news magazine. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah. 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 But the yeah. interesting thing was, whenever Victoria was presenting something to camera, they were looking at the monitors that were clearly sort of just to the side of her rather than looking at her, which is a very distracting image because you've got an audience who aren't actually looking at the presenter who's, who's uh, talking to you. It was interesting that they're definitely obviously trying to do something that's very social media integrated. There were lots of prompts for, for sort of you know, Twitter and Facebook. and But the one thought that occurred to me was exactly what you said, which is, in effect, it's the Five Live show on telly. And so isn't that the missing element of it? It could easily have been a simulcast with Five Live as well. And therefore, a bit of branding for Five Live also and a chance to really sort of join up all, all those elements of the BBC. I'm sure it will iron out some of these mm. things. And I'd love to see her succeed because it would be fabulous to see a radio name go to TV and really get some traction. And if anyone can, she probably can. I mean, it is a completely new kind of format, Alex. So should we cut it a bit of a break in these early days? I think the fact that it's a TV programme that's mid-morning, that's not this morning, that's still nearly two hours long. I, I clicked on it and I didn't watch it live. I watched it on iPlan. Two, one hour and 44 minutes. That's a big ask for anyone to keep... You, you, you're saying about this, the, her smiling a little bit. Smiling for two hours, you'd just be sort of dead on your feet, I think. <laughs> but the, the actual new bits of it were really interesting. The actual asking for interaction and using that, which so often broadcasters just go, oh, and you can email us or tweet yes. us our things, and then, and then they have like, two emails towards the end of... Yeah, there's no egginess about that, is there? You, but you believe that Victoria genuinely wants you to tweet in, and that is a step above most Which of what happens on the channel. Which is quite a yeah. big step yeah. for yeah. traditional broadcasting, particularly daytime broadcasting. Of... Well, I think traditional t- TV broadcasting, mm. you can definitely see the radio influence there. That obviously, that, that was bread and butter to both her and Louisa, you mm. know, mm. get the audience to join in the conversation, and they've translated those skills across. And it, it is something that I think has often been lacking in terms of uh, you know the more serious end of BBC programs. You know, TV traditional TV program makers often don't understand social media, whereas the producer behind this program does. Yeah. Well, here's something you won't see on the Victoria Derbyshire program: an ad break. We'll be back just after this. Hello, I'm Claire Wyatt, a voice artist with the Voiceover Store, bringing you today's sponsors. Here we go. This episode of the Media Podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Squarespace's all-in-one hosting and design service allows you to create one-off sites for your new series, campaign or online store. And with Squarespace 7, you have access to Getty Images Professional Photography. Plans start at $8 a month and includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. For a free trial with no credit card required, head to squarespace.com now. Remember, you can get 10% off a monthly or annual plan by using the code MEDIAPOD at the checkout. OK, that's the advert. If you like what you've heard, you can get in touch with me at clairewyatt.com or thevoiceoverstore.co.uk. Right, YouTube have announced they're to offer a monthly subscription package. There is no indication of how much it's actually going to cost, but signing up will remove all of those pre-roll ads from your videos. Yay! Uh, YouTube say that the creators will get higher revenues compared to advertising, although there's not very much, but those who don't want to be involved will have to set their videos to private. Steve, why do you think YouTube are doing this? Well, presumably 
because they see this as a better revenue model in the long term. I can't see what else would uh, drive this unless there's a data reason behind it, but it's either data or revenue, and it it has to be revenue. But actually, Google's thing, Alex, was always, we don't charge for content. And now, you know, through YouTube, one of their sister companies, they are. Is that consistent? (laughs) It makes sense, but I think in the same way as you have a lot of pay gambling machines in in betting shops you're aiming at the people most dedicated to YouTube so your biggest fans are the people who will be signing up who will be spending this money and they're already addicted to watching video Mm. and they don't mind that subscription charge and of course they they assume that there are enough people to make it a more sustainable business model and the amount of money they're making from advertising if you think what is it two two dollars per per thousand views for the video maker so it can't be that much more it's a 50 50 split i believe for youtube content creators that's not a lot of money as advertising revenue so they're looking to diversify and it does make sense if people are willing to pay we don't know that yet is it cool to basically acknowledge that people find advertising irritating and that's what they're doing is it's what spotify do but you know youtube have never openly acknowledged before if you want to avoid this really irritating thing here's a way to do it Well, it'll be interesting to see when they bring this in whether they then remove the skip ad element of you know the fact that after a few seconds you can skip the ad then clearly that is a is an attempt much more to drive people to a revenue uh, model it's difficult to know because presumably they don't want to alienate advertisers and yet you know, I know very few people who enjoy, whether it's on YouTube or on demand on, say, 4OD, any of those things, seeing an ad before the content they want to reach. No, I'm quite happy watching an ad wholly if it's not terrible. And I because I, I understand the way that media revenue works. I'm, that is well made, well produced, well done. I'm okay with that minute long advert. If it's just, hello, this is YouTube, ha ha ha, clever advert that hasn't really been thought about, skip, skip as quickly as possible. Or ignore it, watch the entire thing, make them pay full whack for it. <laughs> And if you're doing it, do it properly. I don't think advertisers are quite there yet. Although that that first five seconds of each ad has become an art form, hasn't it? Trying to get you involved in that first five seconds like never before, before you press skip. Uh, Now, another slightly frightening technical innovation this week was the launch of Periscope, the app that live streams video content from your phone. And I'm pleased to say that this episode of the Media Podcast is not being streamed on Periscope. because I was going to do that. It would be... Hideous. You don't want to see us. Uh, but uh, were, you, were you really thinking about it? Yeah. Have you been playing with it, Alex? What do you think of it? The first thing I thought is that it kills Snapchat's revenue model. That's because we've talked about uh, Snapchat a couple of weeks ago on the Media Podcast. And everything that I've said about Snapchat, about it being the next innovation in breaking news, in live news events of this is the best way to get reporting out. Mm. Periscope kills that. Any live news that's been happening, so Sky have been brilliant at it so far. Sky have been the industry leader in just... Kay Burley's been out and about. Any Sky correspondent's been... Their the producer's been sat with the, with the phone while the cameraman's trying to work out how to film the, the interview. It changes everything again. Any breaking news event, because you don't have the same libel risk because the, the things are temporary, so it, then it becomes a slander libel. No one's quite sure where that test case will come, which means you can report anything as it happens. And it's brilliant work from Twitter, genuinely quite seismic changing in the media landscape. I mean, at the moment, you go onto it and it's just random. It's a bit like chat roulette, but, you know, with slightly more news focus. But, I mean, I went on it a a few minutes ago and it was someone walking around a hotel in Disney World and there were people commenting saying, God, I miss Disney World. I want another vacation there. Uh, And it was an Italian bloke who was sitting in his office in Venice uh, looking at his post-it notes. Uh, I mean, in a way, the randomness is appealing. But for it to really work, Steve, you've you've got to know what you're going to see when you click, haven't you? 
the interesting thing is if you if you look, if you go on the website or you go you know you go to get the app they describe users as broadcasters mm. that in itself is a very disruptive thought on the one side you've got news and, and and that sort of stuff but you can easily see this being used on a very personal level i'm going to stream the, the family wedding or i'm going to you know i'm, I'm going to stream a sort of personal occasion and and get some of my um people i know to sort of tune in for it they described it as wanting to have that sort of um beam me up scotty moment that you could almost be anywhere but, and that very much comes across i think but their app has updated this morning so you're now you're now getting your followers straight to the top of your feed so it's less random already yeah. they understand that you need to move and you need to move quickly and so what eventually you'll get is this in the same way that your twitter stream whereas maybe two years ago it was just you followed two thousand people and it was just nonsense 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 now everyone has column after column of different types of user that they want to follow it will get to that i think you do just wonder though when we get a kind of lee rigby moment you know you're going to have this footage that would never be broadcast by broadcasters with a capital b that's going to end up on the internet immediately but that's the exact point and it also takes out the middleman even in even in the stuff we do want to see it takes out the middleman you don't need to wait to get the film crew down and 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 if i'm a traditional news outlet that's quite worrying though funnily enough thinking back to our conversation around the telegraph if i'm one of if i'm that sort of outlet this could be a fantastic opportunity yeah the oxford mail did a great thing actually I don't know if you saw that where they were filming a bomb being detonated in a farm uh, which in its initial periscope footage was something like 90 minutes long but they subbed it down to a minute and a half and now they've got something on their website that their audience are interested in all it needs now is that Hudson River moment and then periscope becomes this force to be reckoned with is it inevitably going to become a slightly adult service like Tumblr? You know, is this going to be a thing where actually a lot of their revenue comes from people saying, hey, come and watch my nude show? The argument goes that Meerkat is for the more adult pursuits and Periscope is for the more mainstream one. That's, that's the argument that's being spoken about at the moment. I think if there's one thing we, we've learned around any of these new uh, things that emerge is you can't quite predict in advance where the audience is going to be and exactly how they're going to use it. No, but you can usually predict that porn will be there somewhere. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about digital radio, <laughs> which is a link no one's ever made before. Uh, the second digital multiplex has been won by Sound Digital, the consortium fronted by Bauer and UTV, which means a whole bunch of new stations coming to DAB sets in the UK. Uh, now, Steve, obviously the fortnightly nature of our show means this has been much discussed elsewhere by now, but since you are you know, very much involved in the radio industry as much everything else what do you think about listen to digital uh, losing this bid and sound digital winning well it's a positive that there's new stations coming to the dark you know particularly new new speech stations which i think is the one uh you know it's a really important element for the future of radio uh i would be very very worried if i am a company who only makes music radio and whose approach is to only play non-stop back-to-back music because i think your days are or your business model is severely under threat um but that's not some of the stations that are on offer in terms of this multiplex are, are, some, are some exciting propositions. So, this is the one that had uh, Talk Business, the return of Talk Radio. That's right. There's obviously a wider debate around DAB and exactly how pertinent it still is or isn't. And, and you'll know from many years of me saying this, I, 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 even though I've got a DAB set at home, of course I have, I've got a few, you know, very difficult, I think, to see a long-term future. And it's losing one of its USPs, which was the sound quality, because now these stations are going to be in mono. And you actually can literally get much better sound quality by streaming it through your phone or listening on the internet. The entire DAB thing is now baffling. So I threw out my DAB hi-fi a few weeks ago because... The internet exists and because I can stream any radio station that is on DAB in as good, if not better quality through my uh, Bluetooth thing that hooks up straight to my hi-fi and the idea that people are still battling out over DAB when people either have their iPhones into their car radio or they have a traditional FM radio 
DAB is the mini disc of this sort of entire situation whereby it'll be, oh it'll be nice to have while well, we have it but ultimately it's just a means to an end until we get something better my kitchen is a microcosm of that because uh, at Christmas the DAB radio went and, and a Sonos came in which means we can stream traditional stations through, the, through a beautiful high quality speaker Okay, and we're just going to talk briefly about the nominations for the BAFTA TV Awards. They were announced on Wednesday. The BBC, the broadcaster with the most nods. Uh, do you have any favourite nominations? Is there anyone who you think was uh, really deserved a nomination but didn't get one? I think Sarah Lancashire for Happy Valley up against Sheridan Smith for Scylla. That is an impossible choice. Well, I don't know because I, I didn't see either. Well, uh, I'm on the return of Harry Hill and I want to see them fight it out. I mean, I, <laughs> I, would, I would pick out the film Marvellous, which really was 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 for me one of the televisual highlights of last year and if you haven't seen it is really worth seeing i mean it's literally about the real life british forest gump brilliantly acted by uh, toby um toby jones he's got to- to- nomination. toby jones who is just a phenomenal actor anyway but really is brilliant in this part so that if that doesn't win a bafta I don't know what should. You're going to shred your membership, are you a member? I will. Uh, no, I, 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 no. Well, I was going to say I'll throw our BAFTAs in the bin, but I wouldn't do that. So. <laughs> <laughs> no one would do that. Uh, OK, finally, just time for the media quiz. That's the highlight of everyone's fortnight. This week, it is entitled Backlash. Uh, I'll give you a news story. You tell me how long it took for an article describing a backlash to appear online. The winner gets a second series of Poldark. The loser gets to own Loaded magazine. Question number one. Trevor Noah announced as the new host of The Daily Show, but how long did it take for the backlash to be reported? 12 hours. Do we have any advance on 12 hours Three from Steve? Three days. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Alex wins that one. It was uh, <laughs> That would be a long time in the internet world. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was eight hours, 30 minutes, which I think is still a long time. And the nature of the backlash was people rifling through his old tweets, saying, look, he did a joke that was a bit anti-women, and look, he did a joke that might be construed as being anti-Semitic four years ago on his Twitter feed. It's a bit unfair, isn't it? Do we think there... I mean, this, I mean I've read nothing that says this, but was there a little racist overtone to that? Would that have happened to a, a white comedian being because Trevor Noah's black you think people yeah. are looking to try and say yeah. he's a racist well or just that oh he's not really worthy mm. I think people are just looking for the fact that he's not John Stewart anyone who came in wouldn't be John Stewart and so you're automatically going you're not John Stewart and John Stewart came out really strongly in his defense Massively, didn't he so give him, yeah. give him a chance yeah uh, right question number two uh, the reports that Katie Hopkins is to get her own LBC show but how long did it take to see a backlash Oh, I hope about an hour. Two seconds. Uh, five seconds. It was two minutes. <laughs> it was 120 seconds. Uh, right, story number three. Tidal has relaunched with a star-studded cast of music artists led by Jay-Z, but how long did it take for there to be a backlash? Steve, if you don't win this point, you really have lost, because Alex has won too, which means he's already won, really, but I'm trying to create a sense oh, of excitement. I, I don't know. Five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Alex? Because I know it's shorter. Ten minutes? Well, the, ooh, the figure I've got is 56 minutes, uh, which, yeah, it does so actually... Lose you lose oh, again. Man. Even though Alex was saying it was shorter. <laughs> I was th- um, yeah, 56 minutes till people were basically saying, oh, well, I should feel sorry for Taylor Swift, should I, and give her more money. I mean, it's really interesting, the concept of artists taking control, and let, let's not forget, you know, 100 years ago or, or whenever it was, Charlie Chaplin and, and various other actors teamed up and formed United Artists as a film studio, so it's, it's exactly the same thing. It's just, it's obviously just with music. I wonder if the difficulty they're going to have is the price point, because I think you've got to be a pretty dedicated fan of music or sound quality, which I think is one of their big selling points, to want to pay more than double you would pay on Spotify. 
And here's the irony. Even if you pay double, the sound quality is just the same as when you burned your old CDs and put them into iTunes 15 years ago. The issue with it is, is either unknown artists who genuinely need the money launch it and no one pays any attention, or Jay-Z goes on stage who is worth X million dollars and launches it and everyone criticises him for launching it. And musicians should be paid... Musicians just don't understand yet that that's from live revenue and merchandise. It's not from CD sales anymore. Well, also, you know, the other thing about streaming is we're still in the same space, which is it only takes Samsung or Apple to launch a service which is instantly available on, you know, hundreds of millions of handsets and everything else gets blown out of the water. Right. Well, despite that valiant effort at the end to have a bit of punditry in there, nonetheless, Alex has won the quiz. Congratulations. (laughs) Uh, Let's see how long it takes for the backlash online. Uh, We're at the Media Podcast on Twitter if you want to uh, oppose that result. Uh, But that is it for today. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Steve. Alex Hudson, Steve Ackerman. Remember, you can hear new episodes as soon as they're ready by subscribing at themediapodcast.com. Today's show is dedicated to Andrew Barr. Parker, a retired mathematician interested in history and regulation of the media, and to Craig Williams, who studied media, is obsessed by media, yet doesn't work in media. Uh, If you're a voiceover artist, by the way, and want to tout your trade by recording our advert, you can tweet us at The Media Podcast, and we'll send you a script. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer, Matt Hill. Until next time, bye-bye. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.